Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And yes, I am so happy that you are here today. We're going to jump into the Word of God. And today we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant showing up in your house. Praise God. Imagine that if the Ark were dropped off in your living room with God's manifested presence. My friends, get ready for strange encounters with God and His goodness and His power. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, as we jump into Your Word today, we thank You for the quickening power and anointing of Your Holy Spirit. And we ask that Your Holy Spirit would bring to life these Old Testament Scriptures with the application for us as New Covenant believers. Now, Father, we thank You We give you all of the praise in Jesus' name, and around the world we say, Amen. Well, today we are in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, and our story begins in verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Well, this is a pretty good-sized group, 30,000 men, and of course, we know that something is going to go the wrong direction. Well, you have a lot of eyewitnesses, and this is going to cause the report to go out amongst the other Israelites. But, you know, uh, this is like uh, the news agency of the ancient times. People see it, and then it begins to spread by word of mouth. So a lot of people here are going to witness what happens, 30,000 men. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Well, for those of you that know the guidelines that God gave to Moses and that Moses instructed to the Levites, and amongst the Levites you have the priest, then you know something already is going wrong. The ark is not supposed to be transported on a cart. Now, we are familiar, of course, with what the Philistines did, and they moved it on a cart. And uh, they weren't quite sure if this plague that was sweeping through their uh small nation state was something that was a judgment by the God of the Israelites, although they strongly suspected it. So as a last means effort, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart that was hitched up to two milk cows. Now these cows both had calves and they said, well, if this is of God, then the cows will just continue to take the Ark north to Israel, but if it's not of God, this is just some strange circumstance, then uh, the cows will turn right back around and come back, and they're going to do what's natural. They're going to go to where their calves are at so that they can supply them with milk. But the Philistines put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and sure enough, the two cows supernaturally uh, neglected their own calves and went towards north, towards the land of Israel. And so the Philistines, they did not know the laws of God. 
they did not have any insight into the requirements of God and the Mosaic law and all of those things. So they did it out of a good heart, out of good tension, and they didn't know any better. And there was grace for that. But David, perhaps we could say that he is using the world's methods. He has brought the methods of the world into the church, but it's not going to work here. And we see what happens as we now move over to verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Remember, this is an entourage that David has of at least 30,000 men. So you can imagine the shocking uh, experience and the heavy impact this had on all of the leaders of Israel, especially David. Verse 8, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah. Perez, of course, meaning outbreak or a breakthrough, uh, where the wrath of God broke through. So this is Perez Uzzah, the name to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? This is very, very fascinating. Now, whenever we think about the ark of the covenant, we're talking about the presence of God coming on the scene. Maybe we can even be more specific. Let's call it the manifested presence of God. And so this is quite different from, you know, uh, let's say the ark is going to come into your house. This is different from the classic, you know, real big, thick Bible back in the old days that people, families would take and they would put it on the coffee table. And it was basically a sign, whether they read it or not, or even knew the first book in it, the book of Genesis, or, or even opened it up, it was still an external sign that we have reverence for God. Even if we don't really know how to serve him, and it's just a book we never read, the very fact that they've got it on the coffee table means that there's something in their heart where they have a respect for God. And so what is going on here is God's presence is on the scene, and they're not quite sure how to handle what's taking place. Now, let me make a statement about God's manifested presence, about revival. Sin doesn't stop revival from taking place or flowing or happening. Revival is only stopped when man's effort comes in and you have somebody or group, sometimes it's a small group, maybe a committee that decides we don't need to do it this way anymore. And so you have men or a man that tries to overtake what the Spirit is doing and boot the Spirit out. You know, I remember uh, years back there was a really uh, anointed Pentecostal preacher. He's still alive today. He's pretty old now. But he was preaching in a church, and he was not aware that one of the elders in the church was trying to hijack the church and take over uh, the pastor's role, and he was trying to get the pastor kicked out, and he was uh, disturbing and upsetting all the other elders and trying to get them on his side. He was a total rebel, and 
He was doing all of this to undermine the pastor and the pastor's legitimate authority. Well, when this preacher began to preach, he wasn't aware of any of this. He's a guest speaker. And he comes in. Uh, by the way, a person that was in the meeting told me the story. He said, uh, when this minister began to minister, he started talking about the, the spirit of Absalom and about rebellion and how sometimes this can even, this spirit can even try to get on elders and an elder can try to take over a church. And while he's walking on the platform speaking, uh, back in those days, he had a, the speaker had a microphone, handheld microphone that was hooked up to a, a cable, you know, that ran back to the sound box. And he was walking across the stage with the microphone and he got all the way to the edge of the stage and it pulled the cable tight because there was no more room to go any further. And when it pulled the cable tight, uh, it spun him around because he didn't know he ran out of cable, but it spun him around. And when he spun him around, his hand shot out and his finger pointed. And he says, thus says the Lord, you're the man. And he pointed right at that elder and the spirit fell. And of course there was great conviction. The elder... <laughs> repented. Uh, but you can see how when there is a legitimate move of God or when the Holy Spirit is doing something, and of course, people are being blessed, you will have those at times that would either like to stop it because they're not getting the attention that they're craving, or they just, uh, you have people that they just think that uh, the world is all about them. And so they want to literally take over or stop what the Holy Spirit is doing. So sin doesn't stop revival from happening. Revival is only stopped when man's effort comes in. And when I was reading about this with Uzzah, I can't help but think of the classic story uh, told by a great prophet of the Lord. His name was Walter Butler, and he ministered primarily back in the 1950s, 1960s, and early 70s. He went to over 100 nations of the world traveling, preaching the gospel. But what happened, let me just read a little bit of this from his own writings of something very unusual that happened with him in a revival meeting that he was leading. And this uh, revival was taking place at a Bible college. So you have to understand he would be in the position of like the dean, the senior teacher, and uh, you have the president of the, of the Bible college, and then you have all the students. So with Bible college students, of course, many of them are young, 18, 19, 20, maybe 21 years old. So they're, you know, very green in the area of ministry or sometimes even in the moving of the spirit. So that gives a little bit of the context to what's taking place. So Brother Butler said, during this revival, the Lord awakened me each morning at three o'clock. This meant I stayed up the rest of the night sitting in his presence so I would be ready for the services. By the way, he would get up at three. He talked about this in other stories. He would get up at three and he would wait on the Lord until about 7.30 or 8. That gave him time to quickly get a shower, shave, eat something small for breakfast, and get over to the auditorium for the morning sessions. And remember, there's a revival that's taking place. And he's the one that God is using to steady the revival, to oversee it so that it's running on track. So he has to get the agenda for the, for each day for the revival. That's why he's got to get up at three, wait on the Lord, and the Lord would give him the uh, blueprint for each day. During this time, the Lord gave the outline for the services during that day. 
During a Friday night service, there was a mighty move of, uh, move of the Holy Spirit, and some of the students seemed to be going beyond what the Holy Spirit was doing. Because I was in charge, I put my hands on the fellows who were having these manifestations, which to me seemed so out of place. In restraining them, I did so in a wrong spirit as a, as a reaction to what was happening. As soon as I did this, the moving of the Spirit stopped, and I knew I had killed the meeting. It was as though a blight struck the meeting. It was finished. I dismissed the service and went home. And by the way, when something like that happens, you might as well do that because everybody knows <laughs> nothing's going on after that. When it's uh, electrified and God's power is moving, then suddenly you're in a vacuum of nothingness. Uh, then everybody knows. You might as well just shut it down and go home for the night. And that's what he did. He called, he called it off. He said, I dismissed the service and went home. That night at 2.30, while still asleep, I was awakened by a man's voice singing audibly in my bedroom. I looked in the direction of the voice, and I saw the Lord standing there. He was dressed in white garments, looking toward me as he sang. Now, Brother Butler goes on uh, to say that he heard the Lord sing a song that had two stanzas. And the first stanza mentioned something about sin, and the second stanza was something, you know, more pleasing. And he enjoyed listening to the second stanza, and he's trying to ignore the first stanza. And he talks about what happens uh, next. He says, he said, after he heard the Lord singing, he said, I went to my chair, because he'd have a chair in the corner, he'd get up and go pray. I went to my chair and sat there waiting before the Lord. There was an, there was an unusual presence of the Lord as I mused over the song that he sang. I was considering the second stanza and seemed to push away the thought of the first stanza, which had to do with sin. When I realized what I was doing, I said, Lord, is something wrong? I heard the answer right away, the error of Uzzah. In the Old Testament, Brother Butler goes on to say, Uzzah touched the ark of God and died. So the Lord was basically saying, you committed the same sin as Uzzah. You touched the ark of God. Now, of course, Brother Butler says, you know, basically, I, I didn't die because I'm now uh, in grace. I'm not under the law, and the law demands justice. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay for this, <laughs> any type of sin. Well, in Christ, he paid for our sins at Calvary, so it's not like we have to drop dead. Praise God when something like this happens. But Brother Butler basically said, well, Lord, what, what do I do? And he said, you need to... Uh, on Sunday morning, because this had, this had happened late Friday night, early Saturday morning, the Lord said on Sunday morning, go before the whole uh, student body and repent for what you did. And he said, well, whew, Lord, that's a severe humbling. But he basically said, I'll do it. And he went out there on Sunday morning, wasn't sure when he was supposed to do it. But during the communion, he said, suddenly his heart began to beat and it felt like his heart was about to jump out of his chest. And he knew, I need to do it now. So he stood up and, and before the student body and said, I have an announcement I need to make. I need to repent. I sinned in, in the meeting because I, I didn't have the right spirit. And, uh, of course, everybody forgave him. All the students loved him greatly. But he said, I, you know, I, I repent and I ask your forgiveness. And he said the moment he did that and finished that, that repentance, 
He said a student stood up and the spirit of prophecy came on the student and basically said something like this, like thus saith the Lord, because you have humbled yourself and done this. I will lift you, I will lift you up and set you as a city on a hill. And when, when that prophetic word came forth, Brother Butler dropped to his knees just worshiping God. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go teach all nations. And that's what he did. He went from having gone nowhere (laughs) to having ministered uh, to over 100 nations. Verse nine, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it outside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Wow. Think about this for a moment. What it would be like if you lived back in that day, let's go back in time almost 3,000 years ago, and you're just in your home doing things. There's a knock on the door. And you go over and open up the door, and there stands King David. And he says, uh, uh, hello, Obed, um, nice little place you've got here. Um, we had a little problem situation today uh, concerning the Ark of the Covenant, uh, a few technical difficulties that we're working through. In the interim, uh, the Ark is staying with you. Let's find a good place to put it. Can you imagine that they have stopped at your house and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into your house? Well, where would you put it? Would you put it in the kitchen? I don't know. Of course, the houses back then weren't that big. Uh, Would you put it in the living room? Yes. Let's put it in the living room next to the 4K TV. Pastor Stephen, will that affect the programs we watch? Oh, I would suspect that the ark in your house would probably affect all kinds of things. But we got to put it somewhere. David's not going to stand here all day. Let's set it up over here next to the uh, television. Okay. Thank you, David. I'll take good care of it. Hope I don't, hope I don't die. I heard the report on the news earlier today. So um, we'll do the best we can. And David leaves. <laughs> and uh, you look over there, you have the Ark of the Covenant sitting in your living room. You're probably thinking, how in the world did this happen? But my friends with God, these these so-called coincidences are not coincidences at all. Now look carefully here. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Praise God. You know, Walter Butler asked the Lord while he was waiting on the Lord that morning, after having heard the Lord sing uh, sing that song, he said, Lord, um, something wrong? <laughs> that can be difficult. But that's something that David did not do. Now, I'm not going to give David a hard time. I know David is living under the law. If there was anybody, though, that was beginning to see beyond the law and beginning to understand that there's something coming that that would be along the lines of grace, but uh, David... He was picking up on that, and he was getting insights on that. But even still, he, it says that he was afraid of God. 
And what did he do? He didn't want to be around the ark. He did not want to really be this close to God with, with this mighty presence of the Lord. And so he just leaves it somewhere else. That's the wrong thing to do. He got rid of the Ark of the Covenant because, again, he's under the law, but it's mainly because he did not have a consciousness of righteousness. And if you don't understand as a believer what Jesus did for you at Calvary, although righteousness is imparted to us as a gift, if you don't really understand that, then you, you can struggle with things like guilt or condemnation or having messed up or blown it or fumbled the ball or however we want to describe it. Or, you know, somebody got killed in a meeting. Somebody touched the ark or, or whatever's going on. David just, he didn't ask the Lord, hey, Lord, what, what really was the problem here? Now, months down the road when he's going to come back and get the ark, and we all know why, when he's going to come back and get it, they do transport it the right way. So they did basically get understanding that we have been entrusted with certain revelatory truths, and God expects us to walk those out, such as if we're going to be transporting the ark, uh, we can't be ever putting it on a cart or on any kind of a wagon or anything like that. We have to do it the way God said. And that's, you know, you get the two poles, the two staves, you get the Levitical priest, and we never really know in Scripture how many priests there were that carried it, at least four, but sometimes up to seven are mentioned, but it could be that four are carrying it. If, if two got tired, then two rotate in, and then the other two walk along. We're not really sure how that exactly looked, but David later will come back, and they'll move it the right way. Nevertheless, the ark is now at the house of Obed-Edom. But David got rid of it. My friends, if you, ever, if you ever have a mistake, you ever blow it, you ever do something and you say, God, you know, I did it again, or whatever the case might be, please uh, don't get away from the ark. Stay on purpose as close as you can to the Lord, especially during times like that. And this is something I want to share with you of great importance. You have to understand that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood. Oh, Pastor Stephen, God sees my, he sees what I did. He sees how I, I blew it. Well, you have to understand all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of mine too. Every time we've blown it, past, present, maybe even today, yesterday, or tomorrow or the future, all of our sins, blunders, mistakes, they were all placed on Jesus while he was hanging on that cross, and he bore all of that for us. He took all of it, all of the sin, all of the guilt and shame and condemnation that was associated with it, and also paid the penalty because there are wages to sin. He paid all the penalty for it. He paid it. Why? So that we could be saved by putting our faith and trust in him in his finished work at Calvary. And the moment you become a Christian, then the gift is called the gift. The gift of righteousness is given to the believer. What does that mean? It means when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood. And that's something that David, 
he did not have this consciousness of the blood. Now, he understood, in a sense, what the priests were doing by uh, particularly the high priest going into the Holy of Holies and the sprinkling of blood, but he didn't quite get it. But let me tell you somebody who did, Obed-Edom, and he was actually comfortable with the ark that close to him. Wow. And so Obed-Edom's name is very fascinating. I actually believe that when we look at him, you're actually looking at a man that God is using in the Old Testament as a prophetic symbol of the one day coming Christian believer who understands the power of the blood of Jesus, praise God, and the finished work of the cross. Obed, his name means servant. Edom, of course, means red. But red has a root word that it's pulled from in the Hebrew, and that's the word dam, D-A-M. But in Hebrew, that means blood. So Obed, Edom, his name actually means servant of the blood. And this is somebody as a Levite who would understand what's going on with the sprinkling of blood. Back in the Old Testament, they knew that the blood atoned, which means to cover, it covered sins. So they knew that their sins were covered. Now, what was amazing with the Lord's sacrifice at Calvary of his life is that his blood technically does not cover. His blood remits sins. And that word remit means to completely take away and do away with. In other words, it's gone. (laughs) It's completely gone. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. The blood of innocent animals in the Old Testament was shed to cover sins. But it's like um, it's like taking a credit card and buying something on your credit card. Eventually, you, all these things you're buying uh, on credit, somebody's going to have to come along and make the payment on all of those purchases. And so all of this blood being shed in the Old Testament covering sins, well, the sin is still underneath there. It's covered. But Jesus at Calvary paid with his own body, the shedding of his blood, all past sins of all humanity, current past, present, and current, because we're, we're, we're and, and excuse me, future, because we're all living in the future. What Jesus did was 2,000 years ago. So he paid for the sins of humanity for anyone that puts their faith and trust in him. Now they receive that great blessing of forgiveness of sins. But Obed-Edom was a man that understood the power of the blood. His actual name means servant of the blood. Wow. So in the Old Testament, God saw the blood, particularly the blood of the animals, the blood of the animals sprinkled by the high priest uh, on the mercy seat, and that's in his house, and he can see that, and he understood that because of that blood, he's safe. There's protection for him. Praise God. Protection because of his sins. He knows they're covered by that blood. Mm -mm. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, It's very interesting to be in such close proximity of God manifesting, where you ask a question, there's the answer, when you have this going on. Because if he's in your home, he knows you just the way you are. 
By the way, of course, if he's a million miles away, 10 trillion miles away, he still knows everything anyhow. But it seems to be a lot more for us and awareness of it when we're, uh, uh, for example, if we realize he's in the house like he was with Obed-Edom for three months, right there, camped in the living room, dwelling in between the, uh, the cherubim, the presence of Almighty Jehovah God. Wow, they're in the house. Well, you know, you may, you may uh, be sitting there thinking, uh, Lord, um, I'm glad you're here, but it's a little bit also inconvenient for me because you're here, but there's things normally I would do. I would perhaps watch something on the TV, uh, but you're here, and I don't want to do that in front of you. Lord, also, I can't help but notice that you can see into the kitchen because you're right there above the ark, and you could see into the kitchen, and Lord, I guess you, that probably means you're aware that I have an eating disorder, and I, I eat it at 11 o'clock at night, and I get up at 2, and I do it all over again, and then I get up at 5, and I eat all over again, and uh, Lord, I, I have a little problem in that area, or whatever it is, because he's seen everything going on, the way you talk, the way you talk to your pets, the way you talk to your spouse. He's, <laughs> uh, you're suddenly aware that he's in on all of it. So what do you do? Do you say, well, Lord, I, I, I like you a lot, but I don't want you this close. I can't handle it. Do you get rid of him because you're afraid of him? The only reason that you would want him out and the only reason that you would be afraid of him is you don't understand what the blood does. And the blood enables proximity and also enables you to receive help and healing and anything that you need because all you have to do is say, hey, Lord, um, I'm sure you've noticed I have a little struggle over here in this area. I don't want you to go, of course. I want you to stay. I'm not going to move you on down the road like David did. I want you to stay, but show me how to get the victory in this area. Usually, the, the, the situation in cases like that is that even if it's a Christian, they're operating under a law-type basis. And if you're under the law, you have a mentality of God's going to, you know, uh, he's going to punish me and, uh, you know, because the law is do this, do that. Uh, and if you blow it, uh, there's going to be consequences. But if you're under grace and you understand God's grace, well, you understand, of course, that there is grace for sin, but you also under, you begin to understand there's grace for the pathway to victory and the Holy Spirit helping you into that. So I'm saying whether you're weak, strong, or somewhere in between, you want, you want to always stay close to the ark, especially if you've blown it. Don't be like David and say, I can't handle this. God, you see my mistake, and I've, I've made a big one, and I made it in front of all the people. Uh, don't do that. Stay close to the ark and enjoy the Lord's presence. Enjoy everything about him and talk to him about your strengths. Uh, talk to him especially about all of your weaknesses. It's not like he doesn't know, right? So since he's so close, talk to him about all these things. Listen, I really do believe that many of you watching and listening to me are going to begin to have strange encounters with the Lord and there is going to be, in a sense, the Lord coming into your house. Now, I know we all, as believers, have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. So you, you could say, and you would be technically correct, that we are carriers of the glory. We are, we are the transporters of the ark because God's in us. But at the same time, we do have to recognize there are visitations of the Lord. There are times where God comes 
Uh, you know, Brother Butler said in other conversations that, you know, that getting up real early and waiting on the Lord was very, very, uh, even physically taxing. You can't do it very long, and God would never uh, do something that would cause harm to your body. But uh, it it took a lot out of Brother Butler. I mean, he said at 9 o'clock at night, you're you're done. You're so tired you're, because you've been going all day, and you got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You've got to get some sleep. So it's lights out at 9 o'clock. It takes tremendous discipline. But there's also a grace that's carrying all of this, not a legalism, a grace. But when you have these moments like Obed-Edom where God moves in, isn't that what a revival is? It's like suddenly God's here. Now, I've met many people, and they, and they would always be technical. Well, Pastor Stephen, God's everywhere. <laughs> you know, I understand that. Yes, the omnipresence of God. <laughs> but in many ways, revival is like, wow, God's, God's here. Now, sometimes we could say, and you would be technically correct again, that uh, it's praise and worship that brings the presence. Well, we do have to remember that David went down there with 30,000 men to get the ark from the kiriath Jerem and move it, and there was all kinds of praise and worship going on. But even still, that's uh, the situation that David wanted was not found solely in praise and worship, but just settling down with the ark, getting to know God really well, moving away from a basis of legalism and a suppressing law to a place where you're resting in the finished work of what Jesus did at Calvary, and you, you, you can get so up close with God that you know that when he sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the blood, and that makes you extremely comfortable in talking with God. <laughs> now, of course, if you blow it, just ask God to forgive you, to say, Lord, I, I missed it, you know, and, and he'll forgive you. And, you know, the blood washes uh, uh, it away, but it, it mainly with confession, because the blood's always working, but it's mainly with confession or you sharing something with God that helps you with your conscience, because the, the blood of Christ also can purge your conscience. And now you're, you, you're all happy. You're back talking with God again on a real close basis. Praise the Lord. Now, let's talk about something that we, we have to address. It's really good. Here in Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 11, it says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus, who uh, literally saw the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, he was a great historian, and uh, he was also uh, uh, a member of the tribe of Levi. And Josephus, who had great knowledge of all of the rabbinical teachings of the day that had been accumulated over the centuries, he said that it was common knowledge amongst the rabbis that when the ark was dropped off at the house of Obed-Edom, listen to this, when it was dropped off at his house, he was a very poor man. And in three months, the rabbis teach that in just three months, God poured out such blessing on him 
that in three months he went from being poor to wealthy. Remember, the report went out, God's blessing Obed-Edom. The report was so staggering, it reached David. And it takes something to move a king. Uh, in other words, if, if the report would have been, wow, can you believe it? Obed-Edom went out with his family, and they all bought a pair of new shoes. Uh, the king would have said, that's good. I think I need to leave the ark there a little bit longer. But the report was so staggering of what God was doing. Now, the rabbis also teach that the main thing that God was blessing was his marriage and family. And, uh, and you know, God's going to be raising up uh, very uh, wonderful children from this man. That happened later, of course. But God is just blessing his marriage and family in a, in a tremendous way. But we do see also... Uh, over here in First Chronicles chapter 13 and in verse 14, it says, The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And listen to this. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. And so the rabbis teach that, oh, that all that he had, everything. He began to expand with land ownership and he just, he became wealthy and God did all of that for him in only three months. I want you to agree with me because it helps when we have a point of contact. I want you to come into faith with me that on the day of Pentecost, well, just a few days away, that on the day of Pentecost, the ark is showing up at your house. Will you just use that date as a point of contact to release your faith? Now, I know that you may be listening to this message at a completely different time because this is posted on the internet and it might be a totally different time of the year. Well, just uh, prepare yourself that whether it's three or four days or tomorrow that you set that date, that this is the day that by faith, I believe God's showing up in a sense where the ark is being dropped off, the, the manifested presence. See, this is not just a Bible sitting on a coffee table, <laughs> uh, you know, next to the, uh, all kinds of other magazines. No, this is God coming in with a very powerful presence and you hosting him preferably much longer, even than three months, because when you see what God's doing, you're like, Lord, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not letting go of you. Now, David did, uh, come when he heard about the incredible report of what was going on. And he did get the ark and transport it properly on the shoulders of the priest with the poles. And they brought it to the city of David. And uh, there he had everything set up for it uh, in what many people call the tabernacle of David. Remember, tabernacle is an elaborate tent type structure. The temple wasn't built until Solomon came on the scene later. But even with the ark now having left the house of Obed-Edom and having been taken into the city what did Obed-Edom decide to do? He followed it. And we see this in Scripture. This is First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 37. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, you're about to hear the name Obed-Edom, but recognize that his name is sandwiched in between some spiritual heavyweights, including Asaph the famous psalmist, and also Zadok, one of the most revered high priests in the Old Testament. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, 
to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jeduthun and Hosa to be gatekeepers. So Obed-Edom moves close to the tabernacle right there in the city of David, and he is now an official gatekeeper for the ark. Wow. He's like, Lord, you're too good. And back in the Old Testament, of course, if you want it to be around the presence, it's, it's centralized. It's wherever that ark is at. He's like, I'm, this is so good. I can't live like this anymore without it. I've been, I've been, I've been exposed to the mercy of God, to the goodness of God, and to the blessings of God. And he said, I'm, I'm moving. He moved he and his whole family. Amen. <laughs> and Zadok, the priest, and his brethren, the priest, before the tabernacle of the Lord. And uh, I mean, this is just incredible. So the move has taken place, and he goes on to become a gatekeeper. Also mentioned right there in between the names of Asaph and Zadok, the high priest. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, my friends, Obed-Edom servant of the blood. Understand the blood of Jesus gives you access and permission to come into the very holy of holies, uh, into the very throne room of God. Oh, praise God. And to have rich fellowship with God, even, even right after you've, you've uh, done something that, you know, you knew was wrong, or you I'm just saying you can repent, get that washed away with the blood, have your conscience right, and boom, you're right back, right back, praise God. And so that's what we see mainly about him, of why the ark could be put literally in his living room, and he's okay with that. He understands the blood, and he also had tremendous reverence and respect for God, for the ark, and the blessing, my friends, uh, it was just coming out tremendously. So I want you to see this, although the, this story takes place in the Old Testament under the law. You're looking at the life of a man that is symbolically portraying the New Testament, New Covenant believer who knows that he is saved by grace through faith and that his right standing with God is a gift and he accepts it. He acknowledges the finished work of the cross, and he has a close fellowship with God. And out of this, the blessing is flowing. Praise God. Don't ever send the ark away. Mm -mm. Don't let anything ever become a wedge between you and God. No, even if you failed, uh, like David, uh, just keep that ark close. Stay before the Lord. Stay before the Lord. I want to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are watching that they have encounters with you, unusual encounters with your grace and your goodness, your mercy, uh, revelation of Father of the blood of Jesus. And yes, Father, it's included in the covenant package, even the experiential knowledge of wealth all flowing by your grace. Now, Father, we thank you that you did a fast work in the life of Obed-Edom. You took him from being poor. He was historically known as being poor to being wealthy in just three months. 
Father, we acknowledge that you're a miracle worker, and we give you all of the praise. We thank you, Father. Let us not be like Uzzah, where we think that we can accomplish everything in our own strength, and then we just experience failure, or we, we experience uh, disappointment. But Father, our trust is in you. I thank you, Father God, that on Pentecost Sunday, there is going to be a quickening in the hearts of your people where they know that your presence is come to bring blessing to and restoration and healing to marriages and families and children coming back to you and relationships being restored, bodies being healed. And Father, we give you all of the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could you imagine the Ark of the Covenant in your living room, and you're laying there sick with the flu? No, not a chance in the world. <laughs> no. Can you imagine the Ark of the Covenant with God's manifested presence in your living room, and you're depressed? No, it's not. It's not even possible. Praise God. Oh, I see God's glory coming into your life, the spirit of revival, touching your life. Let the Holy Spirit move. Really become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and He'll take you into these wonderful experiences. Praise God. You're blessed. You're blessed. Amen. Now, if you're watching and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I give my life completely to you. Wash my sins away. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me now. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Praise God. Now, my friends today, I believe that one of the best ways that we can honor and reverence the blood of Jesus, which is what makes our life so wonderful and also secures our eternal life with, with God in heaven, one of the best ways that we can honor the blood is by taking Holy Communion together. So I want to encourage you, grab some unleavened bread and some grape juice. I use these little portable communion sets. They're very convenient. And I've got a refrigerator of, of hundreds of these. <laughs> because it it's easier to take communion when you can just uh, grab one of these and sit down and have your time with the Lord. So uh, wherever you're at, even if you don't have one of these, just grab a little wafer, a little cracker, and some grape juice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the bread, the juice. But now we bless it and we consecrate it. That is, we set this apart as being holy. And through this prayer of consecration, we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, Father, as we receive the Lord's precious body, we thank you that Pentecost is just a few days away, symbolic of the releasing of the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, on Pentecost, let there be unusual encounters of your Spirit, of your presence that abides and remains. Now, thank you, Father. These could be nightly visitations that for some literally go on day after day for several weeks, perhaps even for 
three months. But Father, you can do more in three months than what we could ever do as an Uzzah in our, which his name means man's strength. You can do more in three months than we can ever do in a whole lifetime put together. So Father, we thank you for showing us your goodness and your grace. Now, Father, we thank you. We receive the body of Jesus in his name. Amen. Let's partake together. Praise the Lord. Joseph of Cupertino, a beloved man of God, lived in the 1600s, 1603 to 1663. Uh, whenever he would take communion with other people present, if there were people there that had real hard hearts, he could not break. He would not even be able to break the bread because the Holy Spirit would be showing him they have hard hearts. But the moment those present would surrender to the Lord and let their hearts be pliable to the Lord, then suddenly he could just he could break the bread in half. We always want to be flexible with the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God. These things are very important. Praise God. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, that as we receive his blood... We thank you for forgiveness and cleansing from all sin. And Father, if there is any sin that we need to repent of, something that would trouble our conscience, Father, we just confess that now. We ask that the blood of Jesus would wash all sin away and cleanse our consciences clean. And Father, if anybody has sinned against us, we forgive them completely and we bless them. And we thank you, Father, we continue on in the faith with joy in our hearts. So, Father, as we receive the blood of Christ, we thank you that when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we have done something, even like David did, that seems like it just knocked the wind out of him, we thank you, Father, that we must always remember that you don't see our sin. You see the blood of Christ, and that blood has washed our sins away. We thank you, Father, for Jesus and the finished work at Calvary, that when he said it is finished, he meant it. It's a wrap. We now are in the new covenant, and we just thank you, Father God, for the blood of Jesus, our right standing with you. Hallelujah. Not heads down, but heads up, looking at you, Father God, because we are right through what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Father God. We now receive the blood of Jesus with great thanksgiving. And we say, O oh God, come in your glory and in your power, that it be time of visitation, that it be, we like to say, Father, habitation. But sometimes there are special seasons that we, we have to really press into, enjoy these visitations. So however you want to do it, we thank you, Father God. But we thank you on Pentecost. We thank you for the arrival of the ark, just as the Holy Spirit came. We thank you for your manifested presence. Thank you, Father, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the Lord's blood. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. 
Glory to the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. For some of you, the Lord's going to change your prayer time up a little bit. Some of you have gotten a little bit robotic. You didn't mean to, <laughs> uh, but you've gotten in a little bit of a rut. It is actually a religious rut. You think you have to pray certain biblical prayers, but um, uh, you know there's other, you know there's a lot of prayers in the Bible. You could pray actually any of the Psalms as well. You have all the uh, the uh, prayers that Paul laid out in the epistles. But the Lord, for some of you, He's going to change up the way you're praying just to break you out of a rut, keep things fresh. Praise God. Be open to that. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. And Father, we thank you that when you want to talk, let us be all ears. And Father, when you want to talk about a certain thing, let us engage you on that conversation. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. People have asked me, uh, Pastor Stephen, you've had heavenly visions and supernatural experiences. You've talked to the Lord in visions. Uh, how come he doesn't tell you about the dinosaurs? What happened to the dinosaurs? What made them go extinct? Well, that's because when these things happen, I'm in the spirit. I'm not in the, uh, the intellect per se. Uh, I'm in the spirit and I'm engaged with what the Lord is doing uh, in the spirit. Praise God. So you go beyond all of that. You climb, it's like a ladder. You just climb past all of that stuff. What happened to the dinosaurs or uh, how, what happened to this thing in history? What's the real story? No, you just move, all, you move beyond all of that. And it's heart to heart with God. So some of you, you have a lot of questions. You'll find out that when you have real encounters, uh, a lot of those questions God's not interested in. <laughs> There will always be secret things that belong to the Lord and some things that are just, uh, he knows that we don't even need to be looking into certain things. But there are other things that when he wants to talk about some certain thing, then that's where you meet him at. You meet him on that field, praise God. And that's where you'll get really what it is that you actually need. I felt like that'll be a little bit of a spiritual nugget for some that will help some because you're wanting to go in a certain way, but you're going to find out that God's not too hot on that. But he'll talk to you about this over here because this is something that involves your life. Praise God. Well, thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to seeing you back next time. Next time I greet you will be Pentecost Sunday. Till then, stay richly blessed.